Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Columbus, Ohio, it's time for Columbus Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Columbus Business Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have with us Catherine Doherty with Spritz Beverages. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, Lee. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Please tell us about Spritz Beverages, uh, who you're serving and how you doing. Yeah, absolutely. So Spritz Beverages, we're a, a young beverage startup company here, proudly headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we launched in January of 2020 with a lot of our Columbus partners, uh, whether those are grocery stores like Hills and Wylands or, you know, various boutique fitness studios and other, you know, kind of proud Ohio brands. And we offer a line of softly sparkling, boldly flavored craft tea infusions. So we have four products out now. We have, you know, all of our products are zero calories, zero sugar, all natural, vegan and keto and we love working with other kind of small independent brands in ways that we can mutually support each other. Um, we could not be more thrilled with the local support of the Columbus business community um, in supporting us on this journey and finding ways to work with them. So talk about um, how the idea came about and, um, you know, kind of what it was like to launch a beverage company. Yeah, so the idea actually started when I lived in Cincinnati. So I hope uh, all your Columbus friends won't hold this against me. <laughs> I was training for the inaugural Columbus uh, 70.3 Ironman uh, triathlon. So it was the first time that Ironman had brought a race. It was out at uh, Allen Creek up, uh, or no, in Delaware, excuse me. And, uh, you know, I was training hard for it, which meant a lot of early morning workouts um, and not a lot of uh, imbibing the evenings before. And, you know, I'm a big fan of community and, and bringing friends together around a table. And I think typically, you know, in social situations, alcohol is such a kind of part of that experience. It's that, you know, it kind of completes a meal. It really gives you that opportunity to, to share something together, to have something beautiful in a glass. But with such early morning rigorous training, it just wasn't a great option for me and my friends who were all training for this race. And uh, so the origin story is that I was just trying to sort of solve an unmet need of my friends and myself. And I made my favorite herbal tea. Um, I made a concentrate of it. It was a Tivana tea and mixed it with the carbonated water, you know, right out of my soda stream and served it to my friends in glassware. And it was this beautiful light pink color and it had these little bubbles and it tasted so kind of delicate, but also something we could have, you know, a couple glasses of go home and still knock out a 10 mile run the next morning. And it took a couple years to kind of, I guess, maybe find the courage to pursue something like this, given that my career at the time was very different. But uh, that's, you know, what your friends are for to kind of nudge you to uh, to do the scary things in life. And um, finally, in 2019, I decided to make the leap and do the formulations and the branding and legal stuff and the trademarks and did our first production run in December of 2019 and launched the brand in January of 2020 here in Columbus. So it's been quite a kind of wild three, three and a half years to get from you know, we're training and we don't want alcohol to seeing a product sitting on a shelf at one of our, our independent grocery stores. 
Now, how did you go from the, um, okay, people like this. I mean, a lot of people have, have tried to kind of make things that people like in their friend group, but mm-hmm. to go from that to people will pay money for this, you know, that's a, that's a different thing. Um, how did you kind of make that kind of leap? Did you go into like festivals? Did you test it out in kind of a, in a more kind of casual way to just to gauge the market response? Yeah. So my, when I worked at Johnson and Johnson, uh, one of the steps in my career there was in marketing and particularly upstream marketing, where we did a lot of things, um, in the market research arena, whether it's concept testing, usability testing, um, you know, net promoter score, pricing analysis. And so I was able to take a lot of those experiences um, and knowledge that I had and apply it to this concept. So we actually did, I think, some pretty rigorous market research. So not only like the big questions around category sizes and what are the trends and where is the growth and what are consumers doing in terms of behavior and alcoholic consumption versus non-alcoholic. And that's where things like, you know, sober curious and dry January, um, all kind of come into play. Uh, but we also then said, you know, how does our specific concept really play in this? So we've got a big category. It's got a growing category. Consumers want healthier options. They want non-alcoholic options that still feel special and celebratory. So we see that the opportunity is there, but we also got to make sure that our product can deliver on that. And so I completed um, two rounds of market research. I did first um, a concept test where I just sort of showed, you know, uh, 300 women, uh, you know, via SurveyMonkey in partnership with uh, Rev1, obviously another strong and proud Columbus partner. Uh, We did the concept test to understand, you know, if you saw something like this on shelf and this was kind of the value prop and this is how it looked and these were the nutrition facts, how likely would you be to try this product the first time? Would you grab it off a shelf and say, yeah, you know, I'll give this a go. Um, And what would that be at different price points? So that's how we kind of got a sense of like where we would fall on a pricing standpoint. And the data that we got back from that was on concept alone, we had, I think, an 83% trial rate. So that means 83% of the people that we surveyed indicated that based off of just the idea of a zero calorie, zero sugar, all natural sparkling tea, they would try that. Um, And then the fact that, you know, it was female founded and that we have kind of a social mission really just sort of amplified that. Um, So that gave us a lot of confidence to say, okay, our concept is solid, but let's make sure now that our product can also live up to those expectations that we're setting with consumers. And that's where we did a about 100 person actual like usability test where we had people come sample the product, give us feedback on all the components of the beverage, things like the color, the aroma, um, all the different aspects of taste, whether it's sweet, is it, is is it too sweet? Is it, um, sour? Is it too kind of bitter? Does it have an aftertaste? Um, all of that. And then things like texture, like what do you think about the bubbles? You know, is it too much bubble, too little bubble? Um, cause we really are proud of the way that we've carbonated our product in particular, we kind of position as softly sparkling. So we're less carbonated than traditional sodas or sparkling waters, but we're certainly not still either. We think that there's kind of an in-between that can be really delightful for consumers to enjoy. Um, So getting consumers feedback on all of those components of the product. And then at the end of that saying, you know, based off of what you've tasted, 
how likely would you be to purchase this product again? You know, that's kind of getting at a rough adoption rate. And we found that 79% of uh, of the target market who tried the product would purchase it again, which is again a huge um, a, a huge retention of potential consumers and moving them from trial to adoption. And then the very last step of that was we just did a kind of basic net promoter score analysis as well. So how likely are you to tell a friend or family about this product or to recommend this product to a friend and family? And we scored um, in the low 50s for that, which is on a range of negative 100 to positive 100. So in the top quartile, which is an excellent score for a beverage product because, you know, as anyone who probably, you know, knows in beverage, um, consumers have such different tastes. So one person loves Red Red Bull, the next person loves Coke, the third person wants kombucha, the fourth person wants just, you know, an Aquafina. Everyone has such unique, you know, preferences for their, their kind of ready to drink beverage. Um, so that's, I mean, we put, I think, a pretty robust amount of market research to ensure that the product that we were going to bring to our, you know, retail partners and ultimately to our consumers was something that, you know, benefited everybody. So now how did you kind of make actionable pivots based on all of that data? Yeah. So um, one of the things that we learned out of the concept test was channel strategy. So where did consumers expect a product like this to be? And that really helped us uncover some channels that we weren't really thinking about. Things like beauty. So nail salons, hair salons. It wasn't a traditional channel that we were considering but it showed us that this is a great way to, um, you know, drive awareness of the product, drive maybe a first trial, and also associate the product with a certain kind of lifestyle and a premium feel. Um, so that was definitely something that we took away and were able to embed in our go-to-market kind of commercialization strategy. Uh, the second thing that we we kind of heard was um, the sparkling aspect. So. We have a sort of a unique amount of carbonation and a lot of consumers in feedback said, this is really cool. Like this is something that gets me like that little bit of bubble, but it doesn't, you know, have a bite to it. It doesn't kind of feel funny in my nose. Um, I really like this. And so we had originally done a lot of our, you know, value prop and communication around the concept of sparkling tea. And since then, you know, we really evolved to be able to say more like we're softly sparkling, better to kind of define the way that we fall on that spectrum and create some differentiation in the consumer's minds, as well as maybe some curiosity as to what that means. So that feedback from consumers absolutely has informed channel strategy, you know, the way we're positioning and communicating our product. And we're always looking for feedback too. You know, people that buy our product, we want to follow up and ask, you know, what did you like? What did you not like? You know, what, how can we get feedback on our, you know, on our communication um, strategy, whether that's, you know, Instagram, Facebook, email newsletters. Um, we're always looking for feedback because that's how we can get better. Now, how did you um, kind of fund this? Is this self-funded or did you get, um, you mentioned Rev1. Are you part of an incubator? So we self-funded for um, a period of time just through kind of more of the R&D phase. So getting the formulations down, shelf stability testing, um, first round branding, some legal work. Um, but then we, you know, kind of realized in partnership with Rev1 and working through that process and then working with the WSBA here in Columbus, Ohio, the Women's Small Business Accelerator, um, that we were going to need 
pretty substantial capital to be able to get this off the ground. Um, inventory runs in particular, the minimum order quantities are very high. Um, this isn't something where you can make 100 cases and see what happens. You're looking more at like 4,000 cases um, right off the bat. And it's pretty capital intensive to get started. Um, so we did decide to do um, you know, a small seed round uh, at the end of 2019, so Q4 2019, um, partnered with you know a lot of really great you know local individuals who believe in the brand, who believe in the product, who believe in the company and the people who are in it. So myself and and the team and believe that we can execute on it. Um, I think like so many companies, especially small businesses and those in food and beverage, you know, in this year, you've certainly had to kind of look at what your plan was for 2020 and, and probably burn that and start over. Uh, but knowing that we have people who believe in us and are you know willing to help us has been a huge asset. So it's been those individuals who've helped us mo- you know, go from just sort of concept to commercialization. And um, yeah, it was a lot of work you know, to do the fundraising uh, here, here in the Columbus market. And that's a whole other business. You know, I don't know if you knew what you were signing up for for that part, but that's a whole other business. Fundraising is a full time <laughs> job. I remember it being like one o'clock in the morning, and I was emailing with my attorney, and he was responding to me. And I remember thinking, like, what is this bizarre world that I have inserted myself in? That I'm exchanging emails on, you know, term sheets with an attorney at, at you know one ten in the morning. Uh, and then, you know, the next morning you got to get up and work on supply chain. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it is a fundraising is a very humbling experience. Now, any advice for other female entrepreneurs that are uh, taking on a venture like this to go from a corporate background into this world of entrepreneurship? Is there any advice you can share? Uh, absolutely. Um, very tactical. The WSBA here in Columbus, Ohio. So that's, again, the Women's Small Business Accelerator is an amazing organization. I would recommend everybody that has any interest in developing a business to go through their Inspired Entrepreneur Program. Uh, it helped me really kind of figure out all of the core components of my business plan. And it is absolutely what I credit for the realization of if I'm going to do this, like I have to really go for the home run here. I have to go fundraise. I have to, you know, I can't just kind of, you know, little by little do this. Like I got to go for it. And that's a, that was a really big realization for me. Um, so that's one thing, you know, for Columbus, you know, women who are interested in becoming entrepreneurs, please check out the WSBA. It's an incredible organization. Uh, the second thing that I would say, which is kind of in line uh, with that, is just just ask other entrepreneurs for help because there have been so many people here in the Columbus community who have helped me, who have answered my questions, who have met for coffee, who have given me so much of their time and their talent to help me avoid mistakes. And the gratitude that I have towards them is best, you know, recognized by me passing it on to the next generation. So as other women come into, into the idea, into the path of entrepreneurship, you know, please reach out to me, reach out to other women um, in your community and ask for help because we want to help you. We want to see more women leading companies, starting companies, raising capital, exiting companies. We want to see that. And 
the best way that we can do that is by, you know, making sure that that door that we walk through stays open for you. Um, so please, you know, find us on LinkedIn, ask your friends and family if they know, you know, entrepreneurs. And I think you'd be really surprised how high a percentage it is of people who will say, yes, absolutely. How can I help? Now, what was it like when you look back to your corporate kind of background? Did you uh, did you understand kind of this ecosystem of entrepreneurship that was out there or did that surprise you? Did anything surprise you about the collaboration and the way that it is so helpful that people do want to support each other? And it isn't maybe as cutthroat as some people kind of in some movies make it seem. <laughs> You know, I think I have an advantage of uh, I'm not in the tech industry, for one, um, which I think admittedly is has a little bit of a, of extra attitude towards it. Um, when I was at j and I did work in like some business development, merger and acquisition type work. So I did get to be exposed to what uh, startup ecosystems look like, but more so in the health tech field. Um, and that was a lot of like big data, machine learning, um, you know, smart, smart smart devices, uh, which is a very, very different market from where I am. So even though I think I had the idea of, you know, fundraising and incubation, incubation versus accelerators and strategic partners and exits and, um, you know, cap tables and all of that kind of stuff, the application of those principles to the industry that I've chosen to participate in now of beverage has been certainly different. So you know, to your point, I think, you know, if you watch like, uh, like Silicon Valley or something on HBO, it is this incredibly cutthroat world and it's the Uber versus Lyft. Um, I think at this point, so many of the young beverage brands, like we all look at like, you know, we are stronger as a team helping each other. Like none of us are competing. We're all competing with Coke. We're all competing with Pepsi. We're all competing with Keurig Dr. Pepper. Um, and if we can try to kind of band together to help each other, we're all off for the greater good. Um, and I think that's the attitude a lot of people share. Um, and I've been very thankful for that. Now, how did you develop such a strong local support? Gosh, you know, I, part of me wants to say, look, like I just, um, you know, when I was at the WSBA, um, I worked with that group and then they introduced me to Rev One and I, I worked with that team. And then when I was at Rev One, uh, Erica Bolt loves, loves slash probably hates this story, but there's a picture of her with the toasted oat granola um, on the wall there. And I would sit there and I'd look at it and be like, that's amazing. And, you know, so I reached out to Erica and she said, yes, of course, I'd be happy to meet. And then, you know, Erica introduces me to like Kimmy Rinelli from Crazy Richard's Peanut Butter and... She introduces me to like Stacy Skinner from Lopez Point Waffles. And so you just start to like find this group of women who just want to help each other, who want to support each other on these entrepreneurial journeys. And we're all in very, very different stages of, of our companies. You know, you've got Kimmy, who's, you know, nationally distributed um, through you know, thousands of retailers. You've got Erica, who's, you know, got a younger brand, but it's still, you know, maybe four to five years into her journey. Um, and then there's me who's, you know, 11 months <laughs> into it. And it's just, I think a matter of, of maybe getting like that first kind of going out there and really getting for the, that first set of people who are willing to help you and mentor and, and advise, and then asking them, you know, who else do you know that 
would be willing to help me and just kind of keep taking those opportunities and following up on them. So maybe it's half luck and maybe it's half just being on top of scheduling uh, coffee dates with people. But I mean, I think there's nothing probably special about it. It's just, can you get out there and can you kind of make the connections and then follow up on them? Now, um, when did the kind of purpose-driven kind of background come into play in this? Was that from the beginning that you were always going to give back? Oh, always. Absolutely. I have always had such incredible respect. Like Tom's, you know, the shoe company is Mm -hmm. one of those companies I just sort of idolize because I think that people are always looking for companies that are doing more than just making money. I think there's no doubt making money is very important. That's why, you know, business enterprises exist. But I do believe that businesses can have a social purpose as well and have a sense of a purpose or a mission or a set of ideals that they want to support and stand for. Um, Nike is highly controversial sometimes, but they are very clear on what they believe and what they're willing to stand for and whether or not, you know, you agree with them. I think for their target audience, there's more respect to be gained for that. And so for me, I've always wanted to have an organization that does more than just make a beverage. We want something that says, you know, our brand is going to be inspiring and celebratory and empowering. And we want to know that we have a very tactical way that we are giving back to the organizations that we feel kind of support our brand. And so saying that we want to give 1% of our revenue back every single quarter, regardless of all the other financial metrics is something as a, is, as a company, is a way for us to say, we're really sticking to this. And so we, we do issue um, what we call our impact reports quarterly. Um, and then they, they live on our website and, um, You can see, you know, on this quarter, this is the organization that we supported financially. This is where we donate our time. This is where we donated product. And we make all of that available because we do think there needs to be like that accountability to organizations that say that they're a social organization. They want to do good, which is awesome. But we actually really want to show like where we're doing good. But that has always 100% been part of the plan. So now, how do you feel about your own kind of personal brand? When it was Catherine at Johnson & Johnson, you were this corporate executive, you lived a certain life, you had certain things that were, it seemed important at the time, and now you're Catherine, the leader of this purpose-driven enterprise. How do you see that, the different Catherines? I'm really thankful that the company that I worked for before was is probably one of the most purpose-driven companies in the world. Johnson & Johnson is an incredible company. Every day I got to go to work and know that what I was doing was trying to make care for patients more accessible, um, innovative, uh, more price-friendly, and solve the problems of the caregivers, of the doctors, of the nurses. And being able to have a company that was so intentional in the way that they, um, you know, innovated and brought products to market with patients always being top of mind, I think has translated for me on that purpose driven side. So I think in that regard, it's very similar. I always want to work for a company that I can be incredibly proud to say, here's the good that we are doing in the world. 
I would say that the uh, the day-to-day life of corporate America is very, very different from the day-to-day life of an entrepreneur. Um, there is a whole just different or lack thereof of structure to your day as an entrepreneur, uh, because you're just constantly going from, well, you know, today I'm going to pack orders. And then after that, I'm going to go have a call with Whole Foods. And then after that, I'm going to, you know, do press stuff. And you sort of kind of constantly bouncing around and there's no shortage of work that could be done. You just have to eventually say like, I think I'm done for the day. Um, whereas, you know, at a really large organization like J&J, um, where there's a lot of complexity and a lot of regulation, um, you're always kind of relying on a variety of coworkers. And so there are points where you're like, I actually don't have anything I can do at this point. I've pushed the ball as far forward as I can at this time. And so I think as, as a person, it's almost learning my own boundaries of, you know, how much, Am I going to push myself? How much am I going to maintain time for my own rest and recovery? How am I going to avoid burnout? Which I think is pretty common in in an entrepreneur because if you want to, you could work every minute of every day um, all year. And so I think it's just kind of that that, uh, maybe journey of self-awareness of saying, you know, when you remove the structure of a large corporation who are you and how do you build your day? (laughs) Um, And it's been, you know, figuring it out and a lot of calendar blocking and a lot of making sure that I've got people in my life who hold me accountable to getting off of my computer uh, and uh, maybe enjoying my evenings a bit. How about from a rewarding standpoint? Oh my gosh. So this is so rewarding because in this Oh, I mean, I just can't even probably put into words, you know, to go from, again, an incredible organization. And I, I, I really, hopefully it's very clear. I loved my time at Johnson and Johnson, amazing company. Um, but to go from something that you're working on, that's maybe like a five year, um, R and D cycle, um, something that you're one of a team of maybe a thousand people that are going to engineer, mark, you know, test and market, commercialize, sell, support, source supply chain for you're feeling, you know, kind of, you know, small fish, big pond, very important pond, but still. Um, whereas to be able to hold in my hand something that I've created to feel almost a form of motherhood in some ways, I think. Um, something that I've brought into this world just myself and that I have found people who believe in this as much as I do is a completely different level of fulfillment, of pride, um, of total terror and fear some days. <laughs> um, it's an incredible opportunity. And I am just so thankful to have had the circumstances, the experiences, the life that brought me to the point that I was able to pursue this and really see what it's like to build something from scratch um, and to live that every day. It's an incredible, incredible experience. So what do you need right now? How can we help? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think for us, the biggest thing is, you know, we are always looking for new partners um, in the Columbus market. We love supporting our local friends. Um, So whether that is doing, you know, partnerships around brand awareness. So our core target demographics are health conscious women. 
So brands that want to do collaborations in that regard to drive brand awareness, um, predominantly through digital offerings at this time, uh, because of, you know, COVID, uh, we're always looking for partners in that regard. Um, we are also always looking for new ways to bring our product to our consumers, whether that is traditional retail through grocery or drugstores or convenience stores or mass market, or whether it's kind of non-traditional things like boutique fitness studios, um, salons and spas, um, fast casual, uh, independent restaurants. Um, we've had some bars that like to do mixology with us to find new and creative ways to do either zero-proof um, mocktails or low ABV cocktails. Um, there's a lot of ways that we can partner with those organizations. And so, you know, independent retailers, we love working with them. We love putting them out on our social media channels, promoting them on, on our email newsletters. We really try to make it a mutually beneficial um, partnership. And I think that's an advantage of being a young brand is that we can do that. We can say, yeah, we'll put you on our stories. We'll put you on our feed and we'll highlight you on our, on our newsletters. Um, and so that's really, I think, where the biggest opportunity is, is how can we support and build each other up in general, but especially at this year at a time that's so divisive, can we support and care for one another as individuals and as businesses? Amen to that. Um, now, if somebody wanted to learn more, uh, what's the website or social media coordinates? Yeah, so website is just spritztea.com, S-P-R-I-T-Z-T-E-A.com. Um, and then our Instagram handle is the same, at spritztea. And you can find us on Facebook, spritztea. Um, it's the same same three terms. Uh, so that is where you can find our company. We've got you know all of the necessary information on there. And then there's, of course, always you know, the contact us form for anyone who has questions as a consumer or as, uh, you know, a B2B partner. Um, we can always, usually within about 45 minutes, get you connected to the right person on our team to figure out what the appropriate next steps are. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today, Catherine. Yeah, Lee, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for all you do for the Columbus community to bring us together and to try and, you know, form that those networks and bonds as best as we can in, in this wonderful, uh, wonderful city we call home. Well, you're doing important work and we support you. Thank you. It means a lot. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Columbus Business Radio. 